0: I've had the opportunity in the last few years to uh, visit uh, South Africa a number of times and particularly down around the Cape Town area. And in the Cape Town area, the thing that hands down stands out is the mountains. They're just everywhere and we just don't have anything like it here in Australia. Uh, Let me give you a couple of photos. Uh, This is uh, just outside of uh, Cape Town, a place called Stellenbosch. These are the hills, just the little hills behind. These aren't even the big mountains. They tell me the bigger mountains are elsewhere. Uh, but These are just the little hills behind the town there. Uh, This was uh, a little further around, some more hills. It's just... They're quite breathtaking. And then, of course, there is Table Mountain uh, that's higher than our blue mountains and right beside the sea and right beside the city. You can see the city skyline down on the water's edge there. Uh, it's over a thousand metres high. It's just breathtaking. Uh, but the funny thing is the people over there don't seem to notice it. Uh, We were travelling around, uh, crossing over from, at the back of Stellenbosch, and we were driving in a car, and and I said to the guy driving the car, do you mind if we stop so that I can get a photo of that? And he said, get a photo of what? And I said, get a photo of that. It's just, it's just breathtaking. You couldn't, you couldn't believe these huge, big mountains. But they see it all the time. They're so familiar with it that they're not even awestruck by it anymore. It's just around them all the time. So they barely even notice that it's there. Now can I say, we're starting today to look at Genesis chapter 1 and I think that sometimes we might actually lose our awe, uh, the awe that we should have when we read through this chapter of the Bible. See, we've read it plenty of times before. Uh, we know exactly what it says. We, we're quite familiar with it. So we can fail to see just how extraordinary this chapter of the Bible is we can fail to see exactly what it is this chapter of the Bible is wanting to say. Uh, This chapter of the Bible, there's no doubt about it, has been at the centre of many controversies, certainly in the last century. Uh, It's been the chapter where supposedly there's been a battle between faith and science and Genesis chapter 1 has been embroiled right in the middle of this this debate. But when you look at Genesis chapter 1, you need to be clear about what it is that the writer is saying. You need to make sure that you're asking the right questions. You may have heard the story about a little eight-year-old boy who came home from school one day and said, Daddy, where did I come from? And the father was a bit stunned and he knew that it was time to have that conversation so they went into the lounge room and they sat down and, and he gave the father-son talk, you know, or when a mummy and a daddy really love each other and, you know, how the rest of it goes. And, and as the father went on, the child was looking more and more stunned with the answers that he was being given here. So at the end, the father thought he'd done a pretty good job of the explanation. He said to the son, so why the sudden interest in knowing where you've come from? And the boy said, well, we had a new boy in our class and he said he came from Melbourne and I was just wondering where I came from. Now, one of the difficulties that we can have when we look at this open chapter of the Bible is that It's not interested in a whole lot of the questions that we might want to ask. This passage isn't even attempting to answer some of the questions that we might think are important. Questions like, exactly when did this happen? Exactly how did God create things? What was the process by which creation came about? This passage isn't interested in many of our questions, but the writer clearly knows what he wants to tell us. Another important thing to realise is that the writer isn't trying to tell us absolutely everything about the creation of the world. Uh, In that chapter, from chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 3, there are 813 words in our English Bible, less in the Hebrew. So, it's unlikely that the writer is going to want to tell us absolutely everything about creation in 813 words. Uh, we bought a new microwave not too long ago. I had a quick flip through the manual that came with the microwave. I, didn't, I have to confess, I didn't count every word, but there were around about 40,000 words in that manual just to explain how to use the microwave. So if there's 40,000 words involved in explaining how to use a microwave, Well, it's not likely that the writer of Genesis is going to want to tell us absolutely everything about the creation of the world in 813 words, but the writer of Genesis tells us what we need to know about creation and he tells us exactly what God wants us to hear about creation. Now, we have to be ready to let the passage speak for itself. We have to be ready to hear what the writer is wanting to say, not to try and impose our questions onto the passage. We have to learn what the writer is wanting to teach it. I think it boils down to two things. He wants to tell us something about the world that God made, but he also wants to tell us something about the God who made the world. So, let me look at those things together. If you've read through Genesis 1 recently, and we've read through it in Bible study, uh, one of the things that you notice is that there's a real structure to what's happening there. There's almost a poetic quality to how this is all laid out. There is a very, very clear order in all of the things that happen here. You can see it with the words and phrases that are repeated throughout the passage. Phrases like, And God said, And it was so. And it was good. There was evening and there was morning on each of the days. Uh, Each is according to its own kind. And God called. Now it's no coincidence that those phrases are repeated. They're the things that the writer wants to stress in this passage. They're the things that he wants to make sure that you notice. He keeps repeating it so that you'll get the point, so that you'll understand. Those phrases are at the very heart of this passage. Phrases like, and God said. So the writer wants to stress that it's God who has created this world and God alone who has made this world that we live in. In the world at the time that this Bible passage was actually written, there were a number of other creation stories. Each of the neighbouring cultures had their own stories about how the world came into existence. The Babylonians, the Sumerians, the Egyptians, they each had a story as to how the world came about. But in their stories, the world was created out of chaos. The world was created when the gods were doing battle. But here in Genesis, the Bible says there's only one reason that this world is here. Because God said so. God spoke and creation came into existence. But the other thing you notice in this chapter is that that order, that structure that there is, particularly for the first six days of creation, it's not haphazard. It's not happening in a higgledy-piggledy way. This isn't done in a chaotic way. There's a very clear order to what's happening here. Phrases like, and there was evening and there was morning on each of the days. That tells us about that structure. Uh, Each according to its kind tells us that there's that structure as well. The order goes beyond that. Can I get you to go back up to verse 2 of chapter 1? It says that before God begins this uh, work of creation that, that the earth was formless and empty. The earth was formless and empty. And what God does on these next days of creation is give form to the world and resolves that emptiness thing by giving it filling. So form and filling are what we're going to see happening on these days of creation. And and there's quite a complex pattern here. On the first three days, God gives form to what's happening. He shapes things. He separates the darkness and the light. He separates the sea and the sky. He separates the land and the sea. He forms the world. In a thing that was formless, God gives form to to this world. Then in verse 14, we start hearing about the filling of this empty creation. And the filling corresponds with the form. So, what do you use to fill the light and the darkness? Sun, moon and stars. What are you going to fill the sea and the sky with? Well, you'll fill that with birds and fish. And the land? Well, you'll put the, man, the, the animals and man in that place. So, do you see the structure that there is, the order that there is to this creation? This didn't happen in a chaotic way. This didn't happen uh, any old way. This has clearly happened the way that God has intended things to happen. But there's one more phrase that comes up in this passage that you've got to notice. Uh, it's in verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 25, verse 31. We're told that this is good. The world that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is exactly the world that God intended to make. And it's a good world. In fact, God's final assessment of it all is that it's very good. We're doing some paving at the moment down the side of our house. If you were to ask me, I would say it's good. I'd even say it's very good. But I'm sure that if we were to get a paving contractor in, he'd have a bit of a chuckle about it and want to point out all of the mistakes that we've made. See, for me, close enough is very good. Uh, But that's not God's sense of good. God's sense of good is that he has created a perfect world. Good in every way, good in every detail. It's a world without sin. It's a world where everything is in harmony. It's a world where there is order. And balance, everything was just as God intended it to be. But the passage doesn't just tell us about the world that God made, it tells us some pretty important things about the God who made the world as well. First of all, we're told that he made everything. There is nothing in creation that he didn't make. All that we see came into existence because God said so. And God has done it all very effortlessly, hasn't he? I mean, all he has to do is speak and creation springs into existence. That's what's happening in this passage, isn't it? God said, and it was so. I speak in my house and very little seems to happen. I yell in my house and even less seems to happen. But not here. God simply speaks, and creation comes into existence. It's interesting. Have a look at verse 16. At the time that this passage was written, there were numerous religions around where the stars played great significance. People would worship the stars. They believed that their lives were ruled and directed by the stars and there are still people around today who would hold to those sorts of ideas. But it's it's almost a little throwaway line there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, isn't it? He also made the stars. I mean, there's billions of them out there. God spoke and they, they sprang into existence. It's almost a, a, that throwaway line, On oh, by the way, did I mention that he also made the stars? They don't rule the world that we live over. The God who created this world, that's the one who rules over all things. And the God of Genesis chapter 1 is not only the one who made everything effortlessly and power, powerfully it's, it, it just happens so simply, doesn't it? God said, and it was so. I mean, I thought it was pretty hard work yesterday doing the paving. My wife was complaining about her sore muscles this morning. But again, do you see how effortless it is for God? There's almost a serenity in Genesis chapter 1, isn't there? But there's no chaos, there's no, there's no battles taking place. It's not as if it's hard work for God. God simply speaks, and those things appear in their place without struggle, without conflict. But there's one more thing to notice about the creation account and I think it's kind of good that the Bible, the people who put the headings and the chapter numbers in the Bible, they've put day seven into a different chapter, which kind of makes sense in a way because it's a different sort of day. It doesn't fit the pattern of the days that have gone before. On day seven, God doesn't speak, whereas he does on every other day. On day seven, there's no evening and morning. There's almost the sense in which this day doesn't end. Have a look at it, chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God doesn't speak. There is no evening or morning this day. There is no work to be done on this day. Everything's finished. Everything's right. Everything is just as God intended it to be. And God rests from the work that he's been doing. He enjoys his creation and his creation enjoys him. Well, there it is, that impressive first chapter of Genesis. And I certainly wouldn't want to say for a moment that we've exhausted everything that Genesis chapter 1 has to say. I'm sure that we've only given it a fairly cursory glance, glimpse here this morning. But I have no doubt what the writer wants to do with this information. I have no doubt how the writer wants us to be impacted by what he's given us here in Genesis chapter 1. He wants us to be gobsmacked by the God who created this world. When you look through the rest of the Bible and see how other Bible writers refer to Genesis chapter 1, they're gobsmacked by it and that's how we should be responding to it as well. I, I read a little bit earlier from uh, from Psalm 95 where it says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the mountain peaks belonging in the sea is his. For he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we're the people of his pasture, the flock under his care." God deserves our praise and our honour and our attention because he is the creator of this world. This world is here because God made it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that it's obvious that God made this world. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. God's fingerprints are all over this world. You can't help but notice them. But it goes further than that. It would be somewhat arrogant to think that you could actually live in this world and ignore the God who created this world, the God who made us. I mean, how arrogant arrogant would it be to think that you can enjoy all that creation has to offer and yet pretend that there is no creator? One of the things that really used to infuriate me when my kids were younger is they'd bring friends home from school. This is when they were in high school. And I would be sitting in a little sunroom in the kitchen at our house And the friends would walk in, they'd go up to Jacob's room or to Sarah's room or to Ben's room, they'd come back out, open the fridge, help themselves to a drink of juice or a drink of milk, go to the cupboard, see if there's any biscuits or bread in there, make themselves a sandwich. I'd be sitting on the lounge. They they, they seemed to be completely oblivious to my existence, as almost as though there was some cloak of invisibility over me. They didn't even say a word to me, didn't acknowledge my presence there. Now, I didn't mind that they were eating my food and drinking my milk or my juice, but it would have just been nice if they said, oh, hi, Mr. Tattersall, or is it okay if I get a drink? Now, if I feel that way sitting in my kitchen, how do you think God ought to feel as the creator of this world? He looks down on a world where people are enjoying his creation, living in the world that he's created, but failing to acknowledge his very existence. God deserves our honour, our respect and our attention. He deserves it because he created the world that we live in. The New Testament writers actually do an interesting thing. They take it one step further. Uh, They show us something in Genesis that we wouldn't have probably been able to see by ourselves. So it's not simply good enough to acknowledge that God created this world, The Bible says that you need to to acknowledge that this world belongs to Jesus. He was there at the creation of the world. This is what John tells us. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Did you hear that, in the beginning? I'm sure John wants us to think about that very first chapter of Genesis and here's the Word that God spoke. Here's the means by which creation has come about. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And then a little further down in John chapter one, he says, "The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us." Talking about Jesus. Jesus was there at the creation of the world. When God spoke, Jesus was the Word through whom He brought about the creation. And Paul says this in Colossians chapter one: For by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created—things in earth and on uh, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities—all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you hear that? It wasn't just created by Jesus, it was created for Jesus. If you're going to live in this world, it's not simply enough to acknowledge that God made this world. We need to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who rules over this world, that this world belongs to Him. See, if it would be arrogant to think that you can live in this world and enjoy this creation without acknowledging God, then it would be equally arrogant to live in this world and enjoy this creation without acknowledging Jesus as the one to whom this all belongs. So next time you see that incredible sunset, next time you enjoy that day at the beach, next time you see that brilliantly coloured flower or bird or butterfly, next time you stare off at the stars in space at night time, remember whose world this is. This was created by a powerful God who has entrusted it to his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you for your incredible power that brought this world into existence. It is quite mind-blowing to us to think that you would simply speak and creation would spring into existence. Father, it is an incredible world. We see the magnitude of it. We see the detail of it, the complexity of it. It's an unbelievable universe that we are a part of. And help us, Father, to remember that not only did you speak and this came into existence, but you have placed it under your son Jesus, that he is the one who rules over all things, that all things were created through him and for him. So we pray, Father, that you would help us to always remember that Jesus is indeed Lord of all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.